I think that humans love a good story, right? And a good story involves conflict and a good story involves a hero. And so I think you have to pretty quickly like lay out the dilemma and the conflict that a customer was facing, uh, offer up a hero and some supporting cast and send them on the journey, right? How do they get from rock bottom to a better place? You know, sort of what does that look like in the future? Welcome to the State of Customer Storytelling podcast brought to you by Testimonial Hero. This is the podcast that is all about helping you as a B2B marketing leader get the download on the most current practices and tactics related to customer storytelling so you can make customer stories your competitive advantage and hit your marketing goals faster. My guest today is Ty Magnin. Ty is the Director of Marketing content and web at UiPath. Also worth noting, UiPath is the fastest growing enterprise software company of all time. Recently went public. Uh, before that, Ty helped start and scale AppQs, um, which was and is a SaaS uh, for product-led growth teams, uh, as well as he was the first marketer at a company called Work Market, where he helped scale them from 250K to 8 million in ARR. Ty, welcome to the show. Pleased to be here, Sam. Um, hello, everybody. Awesome. Well, let's just kick it off and let's talk about, you know, what's the big deal about kind of customer stories, you know, particularly in B2B, you know, why do customer stories really matter, especially, you know, more than ever today? Um, I got two bullets on that. Whenever I think about case studies, customer stories, whatever, I draw a line back to Robert Caldini's book, Influence. Do you know the book? I do. Yeah. Uh, Classic, great marketing book for those listening that haven't checked it out. Highly recommend it. Um, One of the chapters in Caldini's influence, and I'm probably saying the last name wrong, but forgive me, um, is about social proof. And he talks about the power of, you know, uh, uh, social proof and convincing humans to kind of get on board, right? Get on the bandwagon. Um, I think humans are social animals more than any other. I think humans are really uh, wired to digest stories and make meaning out of those. And case studies, customer stories, I kind of think about all the bits of like customer evidence. um, It's kind of my umbrella term as being those nuggets that you can use to support all the claims. Um, so that's bullet one. Number two, I think um, everyone's bullshit meter is so high now. You just see so much stuff online and there's fake news and, uh, you know, anyone can claim anything. And like logos don't mean that much in a homepage. I feel like people throw logos on a homepage if it's just like someone at Gmail signs up for a product trial and they're like, oh, Google is a customer. It's like, they're just stretching the truth a little. Sometimes most companies are legit, but anyways, bullshit meters are high. You can't fake having someone hop on camera or write a case study about their success with your product, right? And so I think it's almost like the next best thing to having someone that you trust in your network giving you a referral. Um, it is like that, but at scale. Mm. I, I love that you brought that up. And it's true. It's sort of, you know, the 
the power of just because everyone has a great logo rack these days, right? So like by definition, the game has sort of evolved and like that's just like table stakes. It's it's not like it like it's just it's not enough. And um you brought up video there, which is is such a good point. Like what's in your opinion, like what's unique about you know video in, in the customer evidence mix? Um, first, I love that you said logo rack. I've never heard that term before, but it is like you just have a rack of logos and you pull them off sometimes. That's so good. Um, why video? Well, you know, there was like a study that was popularized amongst website or tech marketers probably, I don't know, a dozen years ago, maybe just like six that just seemed to go viral. I can't remember it now, but it was about how faces uh, are scientifically proven to like build trust, right? And so if you put someone's face on like a landing page, um, better yet a quote, like people are gonna convert at a higher rate. So I think when you think about, okay, static images of faces work well, you know, what is the next level up from that? Um, video is like obviously the dominant, most powerful, most information rich medium we have today. I mean, someone's probably going to argue with me, but like it's the dominant one. Let's be real. So, yeah, if you want to condense as much trust uh, points as possible somewhere, I think you do a customer case study. Yeah. And the, when you said video is the most dominant medium, I immediately thought, OK, maybe the future the next product that we'll launch eventually will be, it'll be the metaverse reference call, right? We hop in, we put on our meta, our goggles, meet the reference in, in person in the metaverse. But yeah, that's, that's a whole nother podcast. But I love, I love the point that you brought up there that there's just like the, I, I like the term, like the trust index. I don't know if that's a term, but like, let's, let's just, you know, coin it here on the podcast. It's like the trust index with video is so high compared to like a static text because like exactly like you said you can actually you know evaluate people's face you can you tell if they're enthusiastic right it's like you can't get that tone even if it's a great quote even if it's a great written case study you just can't get that tone through text no there's so much more dimension right you're hearing their voice and the sound of their excitement you're getting i guess what do we do for frames per second these days 30 <laughs> I don't know. You tell me. Yeah, typically 30. Yeah. Yeah. So you're getting 30 pictures in a second instead of one. Um, yeah, there's obviously a lot more dimension and depth to it. Super high on the trust index. Mm-hmm. And um, how have you seen, I guess, customer evidence, you know, change and, you know, customer stories sort of change over over the course of your career? Like, have there been any curious, like, have you noticed any trends? Is it, I mean, obviously more video. It, because that's just like a macro trend, but you know, or other than that, yeah. What have you seen in you know the past? I guess you know decade that you've been you know at the forefront of B two B software marketing specifically. Big question. It's a good one. Well, back in my day, right? We're talking ten years ago <laughs> when I started doing marketing for B two B. Case like customer evidence was limited pretty much to single page PDF docs that like people might literally print or more likely like attached to an email to someone. Uh, it was always formatted as, you know, which is like a three act story. So it's not bad. I'm not knocking this, but it was always like the problem, the solution, the result, right? And you have to have numbers in the result uh, uh, section. Now, I think teams have gotten so much more creative about it. Um, you know, the, the formats, 
can be like, take that problem solution result and like, okay, that's the story, right? The customer story. Um, <clears throat> you can put it into many, many formats. It can be little, and they're kind of um, created um, purposefully depending on the distribution channel. Or, um, so for if you're talking about how can I get this customer story onto Twitter, right? Now you're looking at probably a quote or like a little video snippet uh, maybe it was like, hey, here's one of the keynotes from our event. Here's a 30 second snippet and click to see the whole talk. So a little like snack size nugget. Uh, then, of course, we talked about the logo rack earlier. That's another form of customer evidence uh, that probably came into, you know, I'm sure that's been on web for the predates me. You know, some interesting things are like there are long form customer evidence samples like uh, you get someone to do a webinar with you that's like long-form customer evidence they're talking about their story or keynote those probably aren't that new either so maybe i'm struggling to find them but i'm trying sam what do you have you you pay more attention to this space than i do <laughs> well i actually i really like your point about long-form customer evidence because to me the biggest trend is that it's the whole, you know, customer stories, customer evidence have really moved throughout the whole customer journey, right? And like, I think it used to be, and for sure, they've become increasingly video. So that what you exactly everything what you said sort of aligns with that, because it's like, okay, like it's no longer like that attachment at the end of the sales cycle that you share, you know, or, you know, it's, it's really early in the buyer journey that they might see a short snackable clip of your customer and you know it's very high level talking about maybe the pain uh and then you know as the, there's just i think more of just like a focus on you know mapping the whole buyer journey and then thinking about okay like what are the questions prospects have at every stage of the buyer journey and how can we answer that you know of course you could answer it from your salesperson you could answer it from your marketing team but i think the best companies like you guys are are uh, increasingly, you know, thinking, hey, how can we answer this from our customers? Because coming back to your point about influence, it's just so much more credible. Yeah, you got to back it up with evidence. A couple other forms of how evidence has evolved that I was just thinking of as you were talking, ratings and review sites, right? Like 10 years ago, mm. crowd certainly wasn't a thing. Like maybe we started to have five star ratings on like eBay or Amazon, uh, but those were still early days. And now we've seen that be applied to B2B, which is unique, right? Um, there's sort of this more community oriented, uh, a little bit more objective, I guess, process to giving customer evidence in the form of, yeah, these G2 crowd sites or Trustpilot or what have you. What do you make of those? That's a great point. And I think that it's really kind of the, a lot of um, the consumerization of B2B in, in a lot of respects, right? It's like, like you said, we, we saw, you know, Amazon doing that. And, and then I think a lot of good things that work get started first in consumer, right? And then they make their way over to B2B. And, and that's, I think, what we're seeing now. I'm really curious where that's going because just like logo racks, it's almost like we're not there yet, but like with certain sites, it's almost getting to the point of like when you go on Amazon right now, you're like, yeah, every product has a five-star review, like obviously almost, right? It's like once a tactic gets so used, I think 
it can get abused, right? And then like, I'm not sure what the solution is, but also it opens up new opportunities, I think with like, you know, there's, there's G2 and I think G2 is great in many respects. Then there's also like Trust Radius, which they have like a different take on reviews, um, which I think kind of is meant to, um, you know, combat, you know, maybe some of the issues with G2 around, you know, they're just more verified or, or more whatever. Um, but yeah, I think it, it's at a macro, it's, it's that kind of like consumerization of B2B um, factor. Yeah. Interesting. And people are sort of, I mean, reviews are an important part of the buying process. Yeah. Well, I think, well, the other thing with reviews is um, I think reviews can be a great point for a lot of companies to start sort of mining for who to feature in their more um, in-depth customer evidence, right? Because like it only take, it might only take five minutes to write a review. And, you know, if someone writes an amazing review, you know, that might be a good, um, you know, way to figure out, hey, who are my happiest customers who would actually do something more in depth, like a, a video testimonial, right? Which is going to require a little bit more commitment. But speaking of, you know, video testimonials and, and such, I wanted to ask you a little bit about, you know, the, the content and web side of your case studies page. So like, the, on the on the UiPath site. So if if anyone you know is listening to this, I think UiPath has a great example of of a customers page. I think if you go to UiPath.com/slash/customers, it will redirect. But basically, you guys have you know a really robust filtering system, and because you have so many customer stories, so much customer evidence, thirteen or so pages of it. Can you uh, tell me a little bit? I'd love to hear more. Like. How do you think about that? And yeah, let's just talk about that page. Like, how do you think about the role of the page? And how did you, why is it the way it is? Because I think it's a really stellar example of something that a prospect can really self-serve. They can filter and find exactly what they want. It's very segmented, which is very unique. And, and to me, represents the future, you know, or to me is very in line with the future of, of how buyers buy, which is like, more self-service, right? Yeah. Well, thank you. That's a big compliment. We're actually in the middle of redesigning this page. Uh, and, and I think we're only adding more filters, which again, is a testament to how big the body of work there is, which is a result of having many people at UiPath enabled to work with customers to document their stories. Um, so we have regional marketers that are actually the ones writing these stories now, often with help from an agency or a writer. Not all of them have the best English, actually. So they are, you know, identifying the best customers in their market, um, sitting them down to document their story. Sometimes they have them on a webinar and write the case study. And once ready, they are enabled to queue it up to get published inside of our resource center which has a page dedicated to case studies. So the case study library does have filters for region. It has filters for products because we have multiple products. It has filters for topics. Oh, and it, it will or does, <laughs> I'm thinking more about the new design, uh, have filters for industries and departments. Okay, so in total, we've got over, you know, we've got maybe 200 case studies. And we think about, okay, so you have 200, that's a lot. 
if someone like a salesperson or a marketer is not going to spoon feed you the ones that are most relevant to you, how can we make it easy for someone to find them themselves? And so we've looked at different dimensions that are aligned to our go-to-market motions. And we've enabled people to explore all content or at least these, this, these case studies in particular um, on those dimensions. So one of our go-to-market motions that's really important at UiPath, as with many other companies, is like a solutions motion. And um, in the solutions motion, we are basically creating a story, you know, messaging, um, we might have unique customer evidence, and uh, even like a bundle of products or partners for a given industry, right? Banking and finance or insurance, or for a different department, HR, legal, IT. That's one dimension. Another one could be products, right? Someone is interested in our process mining products, okay? Because they're already a customer and they actually want to expand usage. They can look at all case studies of other customers that have used process mining in their journey. And the other one is region, right? Some people just want to know who are the other customers who are, you know, in my area that have had success with UiPath. That makes a ton of sense. And it reminds me of this kind of stat that I believe it's like, you know, 70% of the sales process has already, you know, happened before buyers speak to a sales rep, right? So like with that in mind, the next question is, well, how can we enable buyers to self-serve? I think that's a great example. And uh, for p- folks listening, I think we're, we're saying case studies, but it's worth noting that a lot of these case studies are not just text. They're also video case studies. And the ones that are just text have incredible original photography uh, in many cases. So like not just like a stock photo, right? Like real photos from, you know, just amazing photography. And that is, is one thing. Um, I, and actually I'll ask you about that is like in those cases, like that it, it is just a written case study in your opinion, like how do you, or how do you think about like kind of just making it more engaging, right? From like a format or a content perspective. I think that humans love a good story, right? And a good story involves conflict and a good story involves a hero. And so I think you have to pretty quickly like lay out the dilemma and the conflict that a customer was facing, uh, offer up a hero and some supporting cast and send them on the journey, right? How do they get from rock bottom to a better place? You know, sort of what does that look like in the future? Um, That's big. I think to bring customer evidence to life, you need, I mean, ideally it is a video and um, photos and logos, and they're not all just like the same person's headshot in an office, right? Like I want to get to know that person a little bit more, right? So, you know, there's this notion in like storytelling or filmmaking that um, you have to make your main character, your hero likable, right? Like the... uh, Example I always learned that stuck with me in film school was, you know, this guy could be the most unlikable, like miserable person on earth, like in like maybe like the minions, the evil villain. Right. But he goes home and he has like a fish and he like feeds the fish and talks to him. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, this is a likable person and you're rooting for him. Uh, so so I think all those things matter to sustain someone's attention. The, the, the imagery matters to bring it to life and make it feel unique and real. 
Otherwise, it's like, yeah, your bullshit meter kind of goes off. Did the marketing team just write this and the person signed off? Uh, it's so different when you can see that person, you know, kind of partaking in the process. That's yeah, that's such a such a good point. And for someone uh, listening to this, that you know, they don't have thirteen pages of you know two hundred case studies yet, and maybe they're just getting started. What tips would you give them around like how to set a, a strategy? You mentioned you know aligning with your kind of go to market initiatives your go-to-market motion is that yeah um is that sort of like where the strategy stems from or like how do you set a strategy for your customer evidence program i guess it's a big question if i were to rewrite it right now for someone that's just getting started it would be a lot different than like what we're doing in enterprise scale if you're just getting started i would think about what are the most impactful places for you to incorporate customer evidence to have them either back up some important claim or tell your story for you. And I will go there. It's probably your homepage and some product pages. Um, that's how we did things at AppCuse. Like we, we wanted to get a quote that included ROI from customers about each like feature or product. So we started with that as a goal and that was achieved. And we didn't even worry about the whole case study. We just wanted a quote, you know, as you scale up from there, you have to think about all the different kinds of customer evidence. You have to think about permissions and where you store sort of the signatures and how long the shelf life of customer evidence should be. You need a system of record for all that. Uh, for us, it's salesforce.com. Like that's where all the customer data is anyways. Um, and then you have to figure out, you know, what teams are in charge and what's the process and who can reach out to the customer and who can't. You have to figure out like what stories do you want to keep for your you know, annual event, and, and you don't want to sort of um, spoil them on something lesser. Um, then if you do it for the annual event, how do you break that into nuggets and make it into a case study and get it on Twitter and LinkedIn and all those things? So it gets much more complex as you grow older or bigger, I should say. For sure. And and that that's the goal, right? Hopefully, as all of our companies are growing older, they're they're growing bigger in most cases. I love that you brought up the annual events something you guys have done a lot of. Do, do you mean like in that instance, like the reveal is the live, like the customer is speaking in like a keynote situation or is it a video reveal? Like, or I guess it could be either, but how does it work for, for you guys? So for us, we want to have a few keynote stories that are basically the customers talking about their grand vision or grand successes with UiPath. Um, so if you were to go to one of our events, uh, you know, we just did forward four in Las Vegas in October, uh, big success. You would see a few of those stories, like, you know, those headlines get extrapolated upon on stage, uh, just the same way we're like revealing our products. Right. And that's also, you know, with that, we might go to press and have those stories told in certain publications that our audience is interested in, or, you know, could be, who knows for lucky it's wall street journal or Forbes. And then some of the smaller stories, yeah, they're not going to make big headlines and maybe they actually have participated in a webinar or done a case study with us throughout the year. And we thought, man, these are so good. Let's bring them live. Let's get them in front of a bigger audience. And so it's sort of the reverse motion of that. And I imagine you can still capture those keynotes on video and then, you know, slice and dice, create, you know, snackable micro content as well. Is that also, is that correct? 
Yes, we do that. That content goes on social, right? Because if it's a 20 second clip, it is perfect for like a little tweet or an Instagram uh, story or what have you. Uh, but they can also be embedded into case studies to help, again, bring that story to life, especially if we're going to write that case study based on the talk given at the conference. I want to circle back to something you kind of hit on earlier around like empowering your regional marketers to ask, you know, be involved. I think that's something that is, um, you know, I think making the ask is sometimes challenging. And actually, even before making the ask, it's like knowing who to ask, right? Like, how do you guys figure out who you want to actually ask to, to sort of to feature in, the, in one of these customer stories? So we originally had customer evidence as a program that was managed in a central area of a global marketing team. That was one thing that I was focused on when starting at UiPath. We decided after a year of that, after we started getting kind of the case study and the customer program going, that it wasn't the best, like managing it all centrally wasn't the best practice. Uh, having like one person look at all these things and write all these and interview all the customers uh, was a bit of a bottleneck. And, you know, we have marketers in all of our regions who are pretty capable, right? They're also talented in their own ways and can often write a good case study. Uh, they also are the ones that have these relationships with the uh, customers, and they're the ones that will do the webinars and promote them in their region. So we decided to uh, federate case study production. Um, and in doing that, we created guidelines about how, you know, a case study should be created, how a customer story slide should be created, all those things, and distributed those and sort of made ourselves a bit more of a center of excellence, I guess, like a, like someone that could help and kind of own the standard and, and make sure that these things were globalized or standardized, I should say, uh, but less about turning the wheels every day. So that's how things have evolved. That makes a lot of sense. So, you know, so if from a marketer listening to this at a larger company, it's totally possible to kind of decentralize that as long as you have the right, um, you know, guidelines in place, the right, you know, style guides, the right kind of processes to, you know, make sure everyone is on the same page. What about actually like, you know, making the ask uh, to the extent, I don't, you know, that you've been involved in those asks. Because it sounds like it might have been maybe it's more the, the local and regional people, but how do you, you go about making an, an ask of a customer, right? So they actually say yes, right? Or like because that's I think something that we all have to to deal with is like we we want to ask the customer in the best way possible so they agree to participate. Yeah, making the ask. We were crossing over each other too often when we were a centralized team doing this because the regions also had relationships with customers and they would they make their own asks. Hey, can you make this referral phone call? Will you show up to our local event next week? And then the global team saying, hey, we heard the good things. Can you do a case study? Can we use a logo? Now they're just getting asked from all these different people, right? And it's, it is messy. It's a bad customer experience. And we haven't prioritized or bundled those asks. So that's not the right way to do it. We've moved since to have our regional marketers owning those relationships and therefore controlling the asks and filtering it too, right? Hey, listen, they just had a bad week. This is not a good time to ask. Or, hey, listen, this company's trying to negotiate. We have a good opportunity to make an ask here. How do they go about it? Honestly, at this, I don't, I don't know how it works today. I think they just like 
work with the salesperson and have a good relationship. And, you know, oftentimes it's expected or it comes up on a sales call or in negotiations. I think it can happen so many different ways. I love that you brought up negotiation in sales because, you know, that is, it's, I think, a good, you know, point because a lot of um, customer marketers, you know, marketing teams sometimes forget that, like, often the salesperson, even though they haven't maybe spoken with the customer in a while, they've gone through the sales process together. They formed a close bond in relationship in that process or else the sale wouldn't have closed, right? So it's a good point that A, you can bring in sales and B, like agreeing to participate in those marketing activities can be a really good negotiation point in negotiations, right? It's like, okay, you know, maybe we're willing to, um, you know, do X, Y, Z if you're willing to, you know, pending satisfaction, of course, like agree to, uh, XYZ, you know, marketing activity, whether it's like a webinar, um, speaking at your event and or the video testimony. Yeah. And the interesting part of where we are in our own journey with customer evidence is uh, is where we are today, which is trying to figure out the refreshing and the retiring of customer evidence, right? Not all of our customers, like we didn't always agree to like hey, can we use this for the next 24 and a half months? You know, it's sort of just like, yeah, go and use it. That's fine. But now I'm sort of regretting not setting that up from the beginning of like, hey, we're going to keep this for three years. And then after that, like, we'll ask again or we'll retire it. We don't have a solid strategy on it now. We we actually just set up a retirement program to look at all of these after 30 months, just two and a half years, uh, and basically defaulting to retire but ideally refreshing the ones uh, that exist that are still getting traffic that are, you know, on the 13th page of our case study library. What do you know about this, Sam? Like how should companies, how long is an appropriate shelf life for a customer story? How do they manage this part of it? Yeah, it's a great question. I think it's sort of, I think, a champagne problem in a lot of respects, right? To have so many case studies coming in so quickly that it becomes a problem. So um, so that's one thing I think is like, uh, honestly, a lot of companies don't necessarily find themselves in that position, but it, it nevertheless, you know, it still is a real, real challenge. And in my opinion, I think there's a couple of factors to think about. Um, is it still relevant? to, you know, your strategic narrative and the positioning of your company, right? And uh, if in, you know, certain companies, as long as, you know, your customer is okay to, that you keep featuring them, like it could be five years and like the testimony, video testimonial is is still extremely relevant, right? Because the product is still solving a lot of the same problems, right? But other products, they're growing so so quickly and becoming, you know, almost a completely new product, you know, every, every year or the strategic narrative has just changed. And like, it's a great testimonial, but the vision has gotten much bigger and it's just no longer relevant. So like, there's really the both, there's like the strategic side for us as marketers. And then there's the kind of like doing right by the customer side. I find that most customers, you know, are pretty happy to let people keep using the case study. Now, as as long as certainly if they're still a customer, that is something that, that I actually see. Like a lot of this is like totally new ground, right? In like customer evidence and, and customer marketing. Like it's always been around, but it's there's been many less uh, specialized roles. Like specialized customer marketing is growing so quickly that 
I think the, the the sort of best practices are very much still being written. So, but those are the two things I think about. As like one, do right by the customer, and then two, do right uh, align with your go to market. Yeah, agree in both directions. Do you see a piece of customer evidence, like a case study or a video, as okay to keep over time because it has a date attached to it? It's like, hey, at a certain point. Customer A was happy with us in this way and was using us in this way. Or should that always be current? Does that make sense? Like, can you call it a timepiece? You know, and be like, well, like they were happy with us in 2014 and used us this way, even if, you know, they're not as happy now and using us a different way. Is that not doing right by the customer? Do you understand my dilemma? Yeah, yeah. I think it's a really great, great question. Another thing I would say is it really differs a lot by the size, like the size of your company, right? Uh, the size of the, co- the company that's utilizing the customer evidence. I think there's a lot, generally speaking, I think there's a lot more flexibility for like smaller companies who are just like kind of like, you know, in the startup or growth phase. And like, there's a lot, I think, more forgiveness, you know, in general. You know, some of those companies are just, they're going to do whatever they can to to claw their way up to being, you know, successful, right? And um, I think as a company gets larger, it becomes something that you do have to be more proactive about and be like, hey, like, it's been like, you know, X years, just want to make sure that you're still cool with us using this. And, and I think just like anything, it's like setting the right expectations and good communication go a long way. But yeah, it's, it's, the rules are still being written for sure, I think. And it's a great question. Yeah, it's just hard to have good communication after three years. Is that person still with the company? You, you made a case study, you know, three years ago. It's been up there. Is the person still with the company? Like, is the person who made the case study still with the company? Uh, so the contact and the communication may just break after time. So anyways, there's a lot of challenges to it. Yeah, I would say like, I think the safe the safe thing is like, is probably like, no, right? If the person leaves the company... They're no longer with it. Like when in doubt, like probably shouldn't use it. That is, that's probably like the safe, like answer, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you can't say, well, Kevin worked at the company in 2014, so it's okay to keep up. It, it just feels a little more, uh, it feels a little naughty. Keeping up <laughs> that yeah, for sure. So here, I have a proposition for you. And maybe you're already building this a testimonial hero, but there's gotta be, a pretty simple database, right, of customer evidence that could connect with something like LinkedIn to see if that person is still with the company and could connect with like Salesforce to see that the company is still a customer, right? And, and, and maybe even connects with your website so you know where you've used this evidence. That would solve a lot of our problems around expiration. That same database might also be the thing for you to track. Did you reach out to them? What did you ask for them to to do? Did they say yes? Did they say no? Like, does this tool exist? Am I just missing the boat? Could this be something we build together and make billions? <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a great question. So the only tools, so I know of a couple tools. I don't know like the full feature set of them, but Slap Five, who we've had, we've had Jeff, uh, the CEO of Slap Five, on the podcast. They do a lot in this space. I don't know their specific feature set, but. Uh, it could have to do, I think it might have to do with some of this. Crowdvocate is another one I'm aware of. And then there's also Orca Force 
is something that I just came across that's pretty interesting. It is basically like a Salesforce extension. Uh, it's a Salesforce app for customer evidence and customer reference management. Um, so that I think, you know, that lives within Salesforce, right? So I think that is, that is I think, really interesting. And to my extent, like if, if you or any of the listeners want something that's like within your Salesforce instance, you can do all of this within the tool that you're already using. As far as I know, Orca Force is the only tool out there that you can just get from the Salesforce Lightning store, right? Orca like the whale? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. And, and we'll put the link in the show notes for the listeners. I think it's orcaforce.co. And yeah, we'll, we'll make sure and include that in the show notes. But I know we're, we're coming up on time here. So one last question for you, Ty. And like, I guess if you had to kind of sum it up, like, if someone's out there and they they feel like they want to do more with customer evidence, they may be like, they want to catch up, like where, where can they start? Like what advice would you give to someone who's like, okay, I want to take this seriously. I believe in the power of customer evidence as a true competitive advantage. We're probably, maybe they're a little behind right now, or they're just like, you know, kind of average, like how can they get started and make, you know, customer evidence like a, a true competitive advantage for their company? So here's some real talk. If you can't easily create some customer evidence with the relationships that you have with your customers, you're not doing your job as a marketer. You should have customers you're talking to all freaking time, right? That you're buddies with even. So that's a big red flag, right? What is keeping you from getting to know the customers? Like the reason can't be good enough for you not to be getting to know them. So, so number one, get close, you know, hang out with, take them to lunch, whatever. That'll make it a hell of a lot easier when you actually want to turn a relationship into evidence. If you have the relationship and you haven't created the evidence, again, I go back to what are the highest impact places for you to feature that evidence and make it pull weight for you, right? Maybe it's doing one big webinar because you only do one big campaign thing a month. Maybe it's putting that quote that you finally got on your homepage uh, or emailing out the case study to your entire database because it's just that good. Yeah, I would say start with that one thing and then just follow it. If it worked, double down. If not, maybe try a different format. Maybe you have a huge Twitter audience. How can you make something unique for them? Um, how do I do? I love it. I think that's that's perfect. You know, it's talk to customers, right? It's an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure as the saying goes like an ounce of a real relationship is worth like a pound of like strategy and tactics right um so i think that's that's such a such a good point and so ty uh for anyone who wants to connect with you where can people get in touch with you if they want to connect and learn more uh twitter's great i'm on twitter at ty magnan you can see my website tymagnan.com too if you want to see a little bit more about me or some of the writing that i've done that's best. You could always send me a letter. I'll give out my address. I'm only teasing. I <laughs> someone in writing a letter. Uh, anyways, I'm in San Diego. So actually, if you're ever in this direction, hit me up. Love it. Love it. Awesome, man. Well, thanks for, thanks for going on. Always good to chat. Likewise. Thanks for having me. All right, folks. That was another awesome episode of the State of Customer Storytelling with Ty Magnin. A couple key highlights I want to underscore influenced by Robert Cialdini, 
amazing book, uh, Social Proof, you know, must read. Ty mentioned that. Um, the power of just like video, you can't fake someone hopping on camera, at least, you know, for now, you know, deep fakes are coming, but uh, we can, maybe that, that'll be a whole new episode, right? Long form customer evidence, like keynotes, like webinars, like that is such a good example of like, you know, a video format that's actually long form, you know, maybe it's further down the funnel. Um, we talked about aligning with your go-to-market motion and empowering, you know, local teams to find those stories. And at the end of the day, none of it really matters. And all of it becomes so much easier if you actually know customers, right? The best tactics, you know, are only going to get you so far if you don't have that close relationship and that, you know, real relationship and that honest relationship, you know, that just comes from a place of genuinely wanting to know the customers. So great reminder, everyone's busy, but you know, it's just something that you got to do. You got to take the time and build those real relationships. This has been the state of customer storytelling. I'm Sam Shepler from Testimonial Hero, and we hope to see you in the next episode.